This is a Wild Ape production podcast. Roll them bones. I know you came here to be. Be what you want in the game of D&D. Assassin, halfling, human, or rogue. Just gotta pick up all those dice and let's roll. We're rolling now for real. Welcome to Seaver Die Expert Edition, the first and original classic D&D podcast. Good evening and welcome to Save or Die Expert Edition. I'm your host, DM James, and with me tonight is DM Glenn. All smiles, yes. And TM Eric. Hey, folks. I can actually see Glenn smile, but you can't. So, tough. It, it, it's a sight to behold. The internet uh, is friggin' wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Tonight we are discussing they're a little short, they don't wear shoes, and they're really, really, really awesome. But I might be a little biased. We continue our uh, series of class discussions with class acts, halflings, and a few other things. And a few other things. Yeah, we've got some... Uh, a little bit of skill system discussion in there. We're going to discuss a monster this week. I believe we're talking about uh, Sturges. Sturge. Um, but we don't want to lock too many people in, so we're also going to discuss how not to railroad. Yep. Or, way, or ways to very subtly railroad without your players knowing, which I'm notorious for. Though I've never been caught at it. No comment. Well, now people will be looking for it. All my players don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> They should. <laughs> they should. I don't think they even know I do a podcast. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. wow. They, 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 they play the heck out of some OSR games, but they don't really do the OSR community stuff. Our, our, our following is probably like Thaco's Hammer following. It's small but vicious. Like a halfling. Yeah, like a halfling. Okay, halflings have been around since the original, the original D&D. Well, I was going to say since 1938 or 1937, but you know, that might be a... Yeah. Well, it's, it's the most blatant Tolkien nod in the game, I think. Well, well let's be honest. The first uh, releases of the original uh, Woodgrain set, they were called Hobbits. They weren't called Hobbits. This is true. There's even reference to them being hobbits in the early issues of The Dragon. Yes. And, yep. I, and, and I love the way Tuttles and Trolls can get away with calling them Hobbs. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, I think in, in the old Ultima games, they were called Bobbits. Bobbits? Mm-hmm. Like Lorraine which Bob- took oh. Which took on a whole new context after Lorraine Bobbit. Yeah, I was going to um, say. <laughs> now, sadly, I, I, don't, I don't have a source for a nice little rim shot. But. Okay, and uh, in basic, for, mo- for the most part, they are racist class, like the other demi-human races. Mm-hmm. Um, I will have to look at, I think Holmes maybe have, have uh, chopped them up, but I think they're racist class in there also. Or, or the box, I don't remember. But somehow, starting with Holmes, it started as racist class, and so there you go. I know in Swords and Wizards and White Box, technically they're not racist class, but the only class they can be is Fighters. Right. Yes. So they uh, might as well be racist class and they can only go to fourth level. See, I so. think that's I think that's kind of wrong. Um 
because, you know, elves get magic, dwarves... I mean, dwarves should be the powerhouse fighter of the demi-humans. Well, um, well, no, you remember, in White Box, because it's based off of, you know, the old box, there was no thief class. True, that came at uh, Greyhawk. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, true. That's true. I didn't know if they were going to take it that, back that far. Because a lot of these white box based games, they do the three classes and they give you like a bonus class in the back, which is supposed to kind of like well, yeah, save. or like a Charlie Mason's uh, white box fantasy uh, medieval fantasy adventure game has thieves in there, which came out of my uh, white box omnibus because right. I, to me, thief has always been a core class because of where I was introduced to the hobby. They were always present. Right, right. So, see, I think halfling the- should be more thievy. More burglary. Well, I can make the argument that um, Bilbo is actually not a very... Because I would say he's the basis for halflings. Pretty much. He, he's actually not a very good thief. No? Think about it. He attempts to pick one pocket the entire book and fails at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he picks the troll's pocket. True. Well, he is... Uh, it's his rep. It is his it's rep. Getting, it's getting by. He gets. He's getting by on his rep, pretty much. But he never finds a trap. He never picks a lock. Right. Um. You know, to me, that the halflings in in BX and and the RC and and Labyrinth Lord much more reflect that because they are to me they're almost rangery because they have a lot of weapons, a lot of armor, a decent hit die, right. and wilderness based stealth. Yeah. To me, that just screams ranger. This is true. This is true. So you go with your three for a range, if you had the ranger class in here. Uh, but that would give them more rangery type skills for the basic game, which it could use. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, definitely. Yeah. I mean, why else would they put an optional an optional uh, druid in here? Which, as an aside, it always weirded me out that in the RC the neutral advanced fighter was a knight and not a ranger or a druidic type thing. Yeah, weird. Um, really it was weird. just a more chivalric knight. But anyway, that's an aside. Yeah. But, but, the so, hell, but Go ahead. No, please, go ahead. No, I was... I was... I lost the thought. Go. I was going to say, um, the thing about halflings that you have to think about, at least in my mind, is if you do go off the assumption, particularly in the early editions, that they're based on hobbits... Mm-hmm then that means that by merely being an adventurer, they are even more of an exception to the rule True. than other characters. You know, true. In, if you look at Tolkien as the source material, halflings don't just arbitrarily, for the most part, go on adventures. They go out with a purpose. Bilbo had to get forced out the door by Gandalf, and Frodo went out very for a very specific reason, and once he was done, he was done. Yeah, and that's why, I, you know, the thief thing comes up because thinking of his thieves because um you know it's he's basically saying to Gandalf says, Hey, I didn't tell these dwarves I was a burglar. You did right. that. Right. right, you did that. Right. They labeled him. He didn't well Right. Yeah. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense for that to me that explains a lot of why halflings have such a low level limit. They can only go to eighth level. Yeah. And they'd rather and, not be there. Right, I'm done. I'm going home. I'm going to go start a family, start a town, and I'm I'm good. Um, and they become sheriff. I also think that one of the things that uh, BX and Labyrinth Lord and 
RC do really well is by starting with low saving throws. Mm-hmm. That that's a very simplest, simple and clean way to reflect the whole halfling tenacity and luck. Right. Um, you can look at the uh, looking at, and I, my brain always goes to Lord of the Rings. You guys know that. Anybody well, listen to this? You're 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 a Tolkienite, so mm-hmm. it's okay. So. If you look at Lord of the Rings as, as the reference, the four hobbits, they're going through the Shire. The whole time they're using wilderness stealth mm-hmm. because the GM has been a jerk and thrown at the very least whites at them at first level, and they don't even have weapons. Yeah. <laughs> so what do they do? Well, we have 90% chance to hide in the wilderness, so we're going to stay in the wilderness for as long as we can. Good idea. And it works. It works. He hides. Well, what else can we use? I mean, if if we don't go strictly the thievy, we, okay, we got the ranger type, mm-hmm. you know, things. Butch, it's kind of like we're rangers because we're in the we live in the woods. We're not rangers because we want to be rangers. We're rangers because we live, right. we learned this from birth. You know, this is stuff we learned when we were growing up, and things like that. What else can we do with them? I'm thinking like high charisma would make them a mm-hmm. great great face for a party. And also, uh, not to make a short joke, but halflings are often underestimated. They are. Mm, that's that very true. One of, one of Tolkien's points. Mm-hmm. I always, I, I had one guy who played a halfling once, and he went around masquerading as a child the entire campaign and got away with so much because everybody thought he was a kid. That's right. Thought he was a nine-year-old boy. And I thought it was a great angle to play it from. He had like a charisma of like 16, so he pulled it off really well. Right. And I remember he shaved his feet. (laughs) He shaved his feet. I was like, that's hilarious. I would would have said he's probably really itchy in the feet because he always had to wear shoes. (laughs) He hated wearing shoes and he shaved his feet. Oh, that's great. But. But he would he would get and the thing was he would do things like well I go check with the street kids and I talk to them and find out what's going on in this town because nobody everybody does stuff around kids and doesn't realize that they're watching. Uh huh. Yeah. And like that that was smart. That's thinking outside the box and and taking a little bit of a step away from that. To the same end, I think the hyperism with the halfling. Uh-huh. Um, so to a thief, you can almost do a kind of bardic thing. Yeah. You know. You know. Entertainer. Yeah, Tolkien, again, as reference, I think there's like 10 or 12 songs the Hobbits sing before they ever get to Rivendell. Oh, and yes. they love they love lore, and they love history, they love songs, and they want to see magic. And They're good as sages and scribes. Which is unexpected, and, and one of the things you can do with that sages and scribes thing is, everybody forgets about folk wisdom. We think about wizards and sages, but we don't think about what the... The, the herbalist who lives in the small town has learned. And I think halflings can be a great expression of that. Right. Um, if you have a high intelligence. Um, high constitution or high strength halfling can be the, oh, you're going to fight the huge, horrible spider god and actually win. Yeah. Right. You know, nobody I expects that. I, lo- I love going against stereotypes that way. Mm-hmm. Like my elf with 18 strength who was dumb as a rock. You know, that kind of thing. Um Brilliant. And once again, back to the Thiefly thing, I was talking about the face and stuff. Um, he's, if if you want to push it in the Thiefly realm, instead of like picking pockets and picking locks and stuff, he's a guy who knows everybody, and he can get the thing for you. Mm-hmm. You know? He's a, net, he's a networker. He's a yeah. schmoozer. schmoozer. He's, he's, got, he's got contacts to the black market, things like that. I think that's a great way to do it. Play, play the halfling up as a merchant who travels from town to town, maybe running a legitimate business. 
but oh, yeah. keeping an eye on what's going on on the side all the time. Oh, you need a Holocaust cloak? Give me a day. I'll get you one. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What's in, and he could be so mercenary, it's unbelievable. Oh, I, I, keep played, thinking, I, I keep thinking of Don Rickles and Kelly's Heroes. What's in it for me? I played I played a halfling who, um, this is probably one of my favorite halflings I ever played. The GM let me play it. It was an AD&D game, but it would work just as well in BX. Right. He was chaotic neutral, mm-hmm. but I played him as I'm the consummate professional. Mm-hmm. And being a thief, I said, I don't fight. If I'm fighting, that means there's something that went wrong. I said, I will search for traps. I will pick locks. I will scout. I will do all the things you ask that are associated with my profession. That is what you pay me for. That is what my cut of the treasure is for. If things start to go south and people start dying, I will not fight to save them. And after about three or four sessions, we got... I managed to get my hands on both a Cloak of Elvenkind and a Ring of Invisibility. Damn! So I sat at the back of the party all the time with my cloak on and my ring. And in a combat, it was a party of like six people. We got ambushed by a group of hellhounds. Oh, ooh. And the, the hellhounds breathed and dropped our two frontline fighters in the first round. Wow. I got the initiative because I had a high dex. <laughs> what do you do? I said, I continue to move away from the party. I slowly back away and I slip on my ring of invisibility. And everyone at the table was like, wow, you're a dick. And um, I was like, okay, valid point, but whatever. So the combat continued into the next round. Our third fighter went down. Uh. So came back around to me. What do you do? I slipped back through the door. We came in and I shut it. Oh, man, that's harsh. And I made my stealth rolls. Nobody saw me do it. Right. So fifth or third, the next round comes around. Our last fighter gets knocked down to like three hit points. Wizard starts throwing spells. Cleric's trying to get people up. What are you doing, James? I pull out my iron spikes and my small hammer, and I begin nailing them into the door frame so the party can't get out. Oh, God. And they're like, oh, God, what are you doing? I was like, you guys are going to die. These hellhounds aren't going to come after me. Um, Amazingly, the party survived. Uh They never knew I did it because I was silent the whole time and invisible. Mm -hmm. So I just slipped back when things quieted down, stuck my head. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, oh, it worked out well for you guys. The campaign ended... uh, appropriately enough when the GM decided to run I-6 Castle Ravenloft. Uh-huh. And we, uh, yeah. we were in the tombs and we encountered Strahd. Including the infamous... Do you guys know there's a teleporting white trap in there? Where you open a tomb, a white steps... If you step into the tomb, you get teleported to a different area and a white gets teleported to where you were wearing all your gear. <laughs> oh, Awesome. Oh, it's it's vile. Uh, I haven't vile. read that's that's just sitting on a shelf somewhere. I haven't read it in like twenty years. So. Oh god, it's it's vile. It's fantastic. So <laughs> this happens, and what because I had been getting the one to search the treasure, I had been skimming ten percent off the top for like wow. seven levels. So I had about fifty thousand gold. I also had a ring with a wish. So as soon as we get like six whites in here, kicking kicking the snot out of us. Uh, comes around to me and said, all right, what do you do? Um, I pull out my ring and I say, I wish to be home and free of the curse of this land. <laughs> Poof, I disappear. <laughs> They're like, what are you going to do? You don't have any money. I was like, I got 50,000 gold, guys. They're like, you jerk. So my brother's like, what do you he's running the game? He's like, so what do you do? I go back and I tell the thrilling, heroic death of my wonderful companions and how I was the only survivor left to carry on their legacy. Oh. And I painted as myself as this like great hero. And I basically became a town hero wow. for being a total sham. Of course. 
So being a half, what I'm, the, the point I'm getting, other than the fact that I love this character, uh-huh. is that being a halfling doesn't necessarily mean you have to be the lawful, good, Tolkieny type. No. Um, no. I enjoy playing playing that aspect of it, but you can also be clever and shysty, and I think right. in later later editions, D&D kind of moved in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but halflings, while there are bases and stereotypes, can be as diverse as people. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, oh, yeah. you, can be, you can be a in BX, you know, Labrador and Beckme, you can be a halfling with a strength of 18. It's possible to roll. You could. So imagine a little dude who's three foot, who's as strong as an Olympic bodybuilder. Yeah. Who, who's who's wielding a great axe, two-handed, of course, but... Well, ex- yeah, exactly. Or, or has said to the DM, hey, I've got a strength of 18, can I use a two-handed sword, even though the rules say I can't, I'll take a negative two or negative four, whatever, to hit, because that's going to be offset by his... A lot of it's going to be offset by his strength. Right. So then yeah. you have a halfling who's using a sword twice his size. There you go. My, you know, that's terrifying. Yes. My one halfling was not like that. Uh, I have this habit of basing pe- uh, basing characters on movie and TV people. Okay. Uh, character actors, mostly. And I created for one of you, Owen Harefoot, who was Danny DeVito from Throw Mama from the Train. Oh, oh my God. Please tell me he fought with a frying pan. He had one in his pack. But they would use him mostly his face because he was so innocent and naive and gullible that people would do stuff for him. I mean, he beca- the only reason he became his venture is because Mama told me to do it. And I, had Ma- and I had Mama there, too. Come on, you poop. Come on. So you know, Mama was a hireling, effectively. No, no, she wasn't a hireling, but she was at the beginning. She was like, she okay. made him go with the party. And he did, I remember him going for, so you go for healing portions. So he goes to the temple, and he goes up to the priest. Can I help you? He says, I got to go to this place. My mama says I got to go to this place, and I got to fight this. And they knew where he was going. It's a big dragon, and I'm supposed to get all the treasure, and I wonder if you had a few. He got 12 healing potions out of them. Because they looked there and go, here, you're going to need it. Because <laughs> he was funny. so so ineffectual and just, you know, he wasn't even looking at it. He was staring down at the ground. Looking, and it's like, here. And he was made, he was kind of a negative face for the party. That's fantastic, though. I mean. Um, that, that's awesome, Glenn. Well, and that's, that's one of those things where, like, one of the things about halflings, I think, the only other demi-human race that has even close to their level of ties to their family is dwarves. But dwarves kind of do it for the clan in an abstract sense. Halflings are like, I live with my family. I was raised in the same house with, you know, all my cousins. So a lot of their motivation, maybe they're going out adventuring to carry on a family legacy, or maybe, you know, mama's got a sickness and the only cure is in that, you know, ogre cave over there where, you know, the night shade of, of Lyrian grows or whatever. That's true. You know, That's there's true. there's nothing wrong with doing that. And, no. and I think Yeah. Eric, have you ever yeah. played, have you ever played a halfling? I you know, I've played halflings and none of my halfling stories compared to either of yours, but a couple of years ago, you know, after having read through the Axe Rules and the Axe Companion I like the way they did racially or racial specific classes, and you can still find it on RPG Now. It was published like I don't know, I think four years ago. Demi options, demi options, halflings. I did four classes, one for pretty much each of uh, you know the four 
human classes. So, because to me, again, halflings, a halfling fighter isn't going to fight like a human fighter. A halfling cleric isn't going to be the same type of cleric as a as a human cleric. Humans are the baseline, but I wanted to do this for all races. I only wound up doing it for the halflings. Mm-hmm. But I did, I did a brewmaster, which was the halfling cleric, because the idea that spiritual guidance goes hand in hand with a trip to a local pub. That makes perfect sense for a halfling. It's it's and it's a place of community. Yes, and, and that was the whole thing. You know, they're they're master brewers. Uh, they can they can uh, do a blessed brew, which can it's equivalent like a, of a blessed spell that they can you know hand out. I, I they had like a homestead blessing spell, which is like a which is more role playing. I'm sure it's not going to come up in combat with the goblins, but. You bless a homestead; it's more. It it, it yields a better uh, crop. It it feeds more people. It was all these things that you I wanted to do to make these classes reflect mm-hmm. their 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 racial source. Yeah. Uh, I did a water, which was uh, the halfling type of fighter who got some basic you know range of skills that only worked outside and bit more competent against fighting goblins because goblins and halflings often live in similar areas. They're right, often, hilled areas and they're yes, they're often in competition for the same land and the same crops. So I had I had a class that reflected that. Uh halfling adventurer, which is you know, it's it's the thief, but it's a thief that doesn't get to uh climb walls because I don't see a pudgy little halfling climbing walls, but they get to dodge fatal blow. So if, you know, they have an ability, it's like a halfling luck ability. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so I, 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 I want to rewrite these classes, by the way, for Swords and Wizardry Continual Light. I just got to get around to it. When I was doing um, a, a laboratory classes, I did four or five exactly that, halfling classes to reflect the culture. I had a halfling tavern singer who could oh, nice. you know, get information from a pub and had drinking abilities. My my favorite one I did was called a halfling feast master, and every day they could prepare a drink and meal for the party. Wow! That gave them bonuses throughout the day, based cool. on because they ate so well under this person. And to cool. me, that was a great well, great way to take on the uh, on a halfling cleric. I can't, can't okay. think of a halfling baker. Well, I think the, the one of the best items they could make was a birthday cake, and it gave ah. everyone like like plus two to all their saves nice. for the rest of the day. Nice. A halfling version of, uh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> uh, Gordon Ramsay is a halfling. Yeah, that would be awesome. That w- oh my, I want to play that. Yeah, I want to play that. You know, the dwar- the dwarf ends up making making dinner, and he takes us. That's horrible. That's horrible. Uh, oh God! What did you cook this in a dragon stomach? You know, yeah, that would be right. great. There's so much smoke in here. Rohan's coming for aid. <laughs> that would yes, exactly. Um, one of the other things people, I mean, again, Tolkien, because that's how my brain works. Um, people talk about halflings aren't magical. I, I disagree completely. It could be. I think they're ma- like uh, one of the things I wrote and I've used in my game. Um, anyone who's ever seen me in person or seen me on video, I am almost always smoking a tobacco pipe. You are. Um, and that's a big thing in, in Tolkien's halflings. Mm-hmm. So what I did was, instead of retiring and becoming a sheriff, mm-hmm. uh, when you're same level, you can become a tobacco farmer. 
uh, uh, how about listen to this? Here's how to get into trouble: a, a halfling tobacco traveling tobacconist. That would be awesome. You know, he goes into towns. I said, oh, you know, he sets up shop. I've got what wonderful smoke from the Shire and halflings weed and all the stuff they can't get normally. Well, what I did was, if you were, you had some rolls you could make every three months to determine your crop, and you could grow different kind of tobacco that actually generated magical effects. So That's you had right. Like, so you had, like, sweet leaf, where those who inhale it might suffer a charm person spell, or you could do a really dense cloud that serves as a levitate spell. Nice. Um, and I had one magic item that I called the wizard's pipe, and if a magic user was smoking their pipe every day while we were uh, memorizing their spells, mm-hmm. they could memorize an additional spell of a certain level because they're able to relax and concentrate. That's all right. That's nice. Um, and to me, that's the thing with halfling magic is it needs to be culturally specific, and it needs to be subtle. And yeah. Yeah. If you're talking to magic and I said the word traveling, the first thing I thought was halfling gypsies. Mm. And the, the gypsy element of halflings, I don't think came. I think that was what D and D tried to do to kind of separate themselves from Tolkien right. was turn them into a, into a, into a more of a, a, a traveling nomadic. And, and, and nomadic, and they uh, in D and D, I noticed especially in the later editions, they integrate themselves into human culture almost right immediately, which is which, perfect for that. Which, mm-hmm. is kind, which is kind of like you know what, like I guess Bree and Tolkien being the default for halflings mm-hmm. as opposed to the Shire. Yeah, and that's a good example. And it also lends credence to the halfling traveler, the con man, the, right. the face. Yes. Um, it, it works really well. So that there's a lot of diversity in this little eight-level class Yes. Um, that can be done with it. And I, I think, as usual, they get underestimated. Now, halflings aren't as good at – they're better at wilderness stealth than any other class from the get-go. 90% at first level. I ain't going to go through with you there. Wilderness stealth. End of story. Right. Um, so if you have if you have hex crawling or wilderness going on your adventures, halflings are awesome. Yes. Yes. Um, halfling hunters, halfling uh, trappers, archers, archers. Even the, oh yeah, yeah. Because they, they get they get that plus one to missile and in BX and you know sometimes, the RC. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes they can even rival elves in archery. <sighs> Well, that's the funny thing is in in BX and Be- uh, and Beckme and, and the RC elves don't get a range bonus. That's right. Only halflings do, which means if you, for example, if you had a halfling with an eighteen of Dex mm-hmm. or eighteen in Dex, first level you could end up with plus four to hit with missile weapons, which is huge at first right. level. Right. You know. And right. you know, you slap that with a longbow where you can get your strength, or with a shortbow where you can get your strength bonus. That's nasty. Right. Okay, I'm going to jump games for a minute just to prove okay. a point. Okay. Um, back in the RP- my RPGA days, I played Living Force, Star Wars. Okay. And I played a Gungan. I okay. played one of the uh, fat Gungans. Okay. He was like, a, like Boss Nass. Yeah. Boss Nass. He was a gambler. And he was okay with fighting. He was okay with this. But he had an 18 dex. I couldn't hit for nothing, but nobody could hit me. Halfling. Right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah, don't have to much. be, you know, they don't have to be giants not to be able to hit them. You know, they get a, they get a high enough dex, man. It's like Spider-Man. Boom, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah, and you can get places. One of the things I saw in a game once was a guy did a kobold cave where none of the ceilings were higher than four feet or were wider than two feet, which wow. means everything but a halfling couldn't get through it. 
dwarves were too stocky, humans were too tall, elves were too tall. The halflings scouted around in there just fine. Oh yeah, I see, I see this adventure party go through an engine and and the, the halfling, two halflings parkouring all through mm. the, city, the ceilings and everything. Well, interestingly enough, the party ended up diverting the flow of a waterfall to flood the entire cavern and kill all the kobolds, which, <laughs> credit to them, that's clever. Yeah, I love that kind of clever stuff. The players pull. Anyway, halflings, good or bad, you tell us. No, no, there's no question. They're the greatest race to ever ever appear in Dungeons and Dragons or any other fantasy RPG ever. I'm not biased or anything. That's just a fact. I I, I would make them number two. I, I happen to be partial to dwarves, but hey, yeah, that's because that's that's because they're just oversized halflings with beards. Folks, we're not saying it's halflings, but it's halflings. <laughs> <laughs> I have a slight bias, I admit it. That's okay, that's okay. I mean, I like me a good dwarf or elf sometime, you know? Yeah, but you're one of those gnome people, aren't you? Yes, I am. Gnomes oh. are my mad scientists. I oh. love them, guys. Oh, that's a good thing we really like you. Cause yeah, gnomes. I mean, I, yeah. Love all, I love all these Doc Browns running around in my D&D world. Anyway, did you flip me up? No, you didn't. Okay, fine. No, 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 no. I can if you want. I mean, gnome lover. Um, oh, oh, them fighting words. Could be. I'm, I'm just saying, no, gnomes are just, you know, the word no is in there. No me, no, you know, no, yeah. Well, you know, look at this, look at it this way. I gotta have my, my crazy mad scientist types in my game, and if it ain't gnomes, it's gonna be dwarves. And if it's dwarves, you know, there's gonna be gunpowder involved, and if they're crazy scientists, and that's not gonna go well. well gunpowder and booze just goes poorly together. Oh, no, you know, yeah, well, gnomes can do the same thing, or elves. <laughs> For that matter, um, yeah, that'd be crazy. Anyway, that, um, that would be. Do we have an email address? I forget. <laughs> we do. I don't remember it. I'll put it in the show notes. Okay, we will have it in the show notes. Folks, write us. Tell us what you think. Uh, shall we go on? We shall. Dun dun. Our next topic is skills. Ah, it's the back me skill system. Actually, I like it. It's uh, just detailed enough to, to not give me the willies and simple enough for me to use. It, I, I'm on the other end. I don't like it. I think it's too detailed. It has too much overlap with so many class abilities. It feels like they just... It, because I knew 2nd Edition before I really knew the RC, it feels to right. me way too much like 2nd Edition. But I recognize it came first. Mm-hmm. But it just it feels too 2nd Edition AD&D to me. It, it, I, I don't use it. I'm a yeah. secondary skills guy. Oh, well, yeah, secondary skills, we can do something with them. Are you talking about the 1E secondary skills? Uh, 1E had them, yeah. Um, There's a list, well. thanks. Mm-hmm. There's a list, roll a percentage. And and my my thing with secondary skills is my players go, oh, well, I'm a fisherman, so I would know how to swim. Okay. Uh, you know, versus I don't have the swimming skills, so I can't swim. Yeah, well, right. at, the, at the time, I'm going, what's this chart doing here for? Because you don't give me any practical application. I didn't realize it was a role-playing thing. Right. Well, that, that, and I was that, the same way when I was younger. I didn't. There's no practical application, so I don't see the point. Yeah. Right. Well, the whole, that's the whole thing too. Is that before the again, like I'm, I'm like you. I started with AD and D, then went to second edition. I didn't find a real right. compendium compang- until later. Right. But uh, I never worried about my players riding a horse. And you know, yeah, you can ride until there's a ride skill. So if I, if they don't have the ride skill, they can't ride a horse. Uh, yeah, that's another thing you think of when you're young. You know, <laughs> yeah, and, I, and and that's 
to me, uh, I, I find skill systems uh, very limiting for the type of game that I like to run. And and I gotta say that like when I uh, I, I play a, a in a wacky game every other Thursday night out in Long Island at Legendary Realms, uh-huh. and uh, Tim Conley runs a, a great game. But he, the thing is, we accept the fact that it's a weird ass crazy game. And if you want to try to shoot uh, the adversary in the eye, it involves like two dex rolls, and then you're to hit roll at negative four. And things like that, and that's fine. Made up yeah, on the I spot understand is that. fine, but when you adding in all these skills for things that we always assumed the basic person could do, do I need a skill to walk down the street? I hope not, mm-hmm. but I'm expecting to find that in one of these games where if you don't have your default walk skill, you must I crawl. I think I think that is the one thing that is the problem with skill systems as far as other people's perception. Once you lay out a skill system, they're saying, oh, I can't do this unless I buy it. No! You do whatever you want. And your skill might just make you a little better at it than others. That's right. I mean, but I mean, sadly, you know, I don't I'm, think two. I don't think two E or the uh, compendium, uh, the RC. RC. Thank you. I'm stumbling. I don't think they explain that. That you know, this is uh, you know allowing you to be better at some basic skills, as opposed to if you don't have a skill, you can't right. do it. It's one of the. Like, you, go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'm see, and I'm coming from twelve years playing the king of if I don't have the thing, I can't do it. Champions. I mean, that's where I started with me. It's everybody going, oh, I can't climb a wall. Yeah, you can climb a wall. My God. One of, the, one of the best solutions I ever saw for the if you don't have the skill, you can't do it system, but still having a skill system. Yeah. Um, have either of you read Adventure or Conquer a King system? I, yeah. have, I haven't. No. I, they, I ran it for a little bit. They have every character has the adventuring skill, which is you know how to build a fire, you know how to ride a horse, yeah. you have a basic sense of direction. And I was like, that's a really smart thing to do because it lets you differentiate it from commoners and normal people who wouldn't necessarily have that skill. And I was like, that's a really clever way to do it. It's basically a, G- a GM fiat skill. Yes. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, that's all fiat. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but... You know, I just wish people would get over any kind of system. Get over the if I can't don't have it, I can't do it. Because well, I, it just go ahead. And I, I thought this was going to be a short segment. Uh, <laughs> <and I> was, <laughs> he said, "I don't like it." Well, I like it. Okay, next. You know, <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of of, of skill specific systems. I, I was when I was younger, and as I get older, I'm just like, give me a reason. Yeah. Right. Um, you find it in 81 of the RC, um, page 81. And it's basically, folks, uh, you get so many slots beginning. You put them where you want, and each skill defaults to a stat. And you can be better at something, and you have a way of improving those as you go along, blah, blah. And that's it. That, and there's, that, there's, that's some it clever, right there. there's some clever skills in there that I wouldn't allow you to have if you don't have the skill. Like, I think one of the ones in there is danger sense. Well, yeah. You know, and that's cute. Yeah, you have your spidey sense and uh, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, okay, well, uh, use it if you want, folks. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's all I can say. I mean, I've, I've played with it. I play without it. I can go either way. I don't care if the, if the, if the other players are going, yeah, we use this. And I said, well, all right, fine. We'll use it. And we want to use weapons mastery. No, 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 no. not at oh, all. I you, still re- you, Oh God. No, my players you, wanted to port that over to uh, AD and D back in the day. And no, no. If, if I, your players want to use weapon mastery, you hit them with a rolled up no- newspaper and you say no. Our our group lasted two sessions, and then finally Matt Matt says, "I'm getting rid of this," and we all go, "Oh, thank you." Okay, I, I actually uh, what I had an alternate weapon mastery system. Uh-huh. My weapon mastery system was um, fighters can take one level weapon mastery at first level. Um, they can take a second at fourth, and then get another one at you know eighth, twelfth, sixteenth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, no weapon can have more than uh, four levels of ma- or three levels of mastery other than proficiency. Uh-huh. Um, but I didn't use weapon proficiency. You either had mastery or your class allowed it, and that was it. Right. And what it was, your first level gave you plus one to hit, plus two to damage. Your second level gave you plus increased the bonus to plus three, plus three. Uh-huh. And your third level gave you an extra attack per round with that weapon, and that was it. Okay, that, that's enough. Yeah, yeah, it is you, not. then you're getting two attacks around at plus three plus three, which is nasty. Yeah, yep. I'm, I ain't gonna bark at that. No way. But you're not. But you're not gonna get that till eighth level, and even then, only if you're a fighter. I only gave it to fighters because I wanted fighters for there you to be a reason to be a fighter. Right. right. Okay. Well, folks, tell us about why you like it or don't like it. And if you do like it, see if you can convince James. You're not going to. It's never going to happen. Sorry. I sense a challenge. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I am throwing down the gauntlet, and if you have the skill ranks to pick it up, you go right ahead. Yeah, because it's two, it's two to one there. I, I, I'm, you hear I'm, that, I'm folks? Two, man. Okay, we're a witness. Hear that, folks? Go for it. <laughs> you'll you'll, got, find, you'll find you'll find the email address in our in the notes. <laughs> I got you back, James. I got you back. Yep. Oh, yep. Yeah. Oh man. Anyway, shall we go? Yep. We Railroading. Two two. Okay, what? Avoiding the railroad? Two-two? Avoiding the railroad. Yes. Um, so, I think we should start by defining what a railroad is. Yes. Uh, so, r- would you like to? Or? No, I, I would like you to because you're the one who brought the subject up for the podcast. Certainly. Railroading is where you basically, whether you realize it or not, are forcing the characters down a predetermined path for whatever reason. It might be the module, it might be you. Yep. And to me, that's a no-no. That is a big no-no. Um, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of modules who do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, I, yeah. I think I think Dragonlance, Dragonlance that was the series of adventures that really uh, defined what <laughs> railroading is, because mm-hmm. you can get the end of the adventure, and it'll tell you, well, if the following didn't happen, X, Y, and Z will suddenly happen, so you can progress to DL4. Yeah. You know, they, it, it was all, pre, well, it was predestined. You were going through, your players were going through acts in a play. They might have been able to improv their words and some things within each act, 
but there was a set way it was going to go, and it was a set determination at the very end, and your players' actions didn't necessarily have an impact, which what really frustrated me as a DM. Yeah. For me, the biggest thing about railroading, it actually... This is going to sound weird, but it also includes the use of certain spells, and this is in a broader sense, because one of the big reasons people game, and I think whether consciously or subconsciously, is power fantasy. There is an el- a large element of power fantasy in role-playing True. games. True. True. Um, yep. And the key to maintaining a strong power fantasy is some level of player agency. They have to feel like they are capable of, on some level or another, controlling their destiny or being able to change their lives, often in ways that they do not feel are able to be done in the real world. I mean, I can't quit my job. My job sucks, and I, but I need to pay bills. Versus, I am a fighter, and, you know, I live, I love, I slay, I am content. Um, so when you railroad, you are removing player agency, not only in their ability, but in the very fate of this fictional character they have created. It's also one of the reasons I don't like using spells like hold port, hold person, because oh, you're just going to stand there and do nothing. You're just going to stand there and do nothing. You're just going to stand there and do nothing. Even things like sleep, you can wake somebody up and then they're fine. Right. You know, even charm person, based on the way they roleplay their character, they can still have some level of control over what they do. Railroading removes player agency not only from the player but from the entire world. It doesn't matter what you do in this world. The tracks are getting laid down, and you're going down this road. And if I want that, I'll read a good book. Right. You know, and that's the difference between gaming and 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 reading a novel, writing a, or writing a piece of fiction, is you have the ability to go wherever you want. Now, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. So, like, if, for example, my players don't want to go look at the goblin cave, and they want to go south instead of north to check out this orc tribe... I might secretly behind the screen swap the word orc for the word goblin and they find a you know camp of orcs <laughs> that happens to be remarkably laid out like the map of my goblin cave that they never saw. And right. that and that is another argument for another time because that's a whole uh, that people have trouble with that too especially when you tell players gee I don't know why. Uh, but yes, if if they don't go if you got something in room a, they don't go to they go to room B, take B, A it over to B. Same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well no. again, but the whole thing, as James said, is the player agency, and player agency is a perspective. True. If you feel like your characters don't have control over what they're doing and what they're capable of doing, where they're going, then you don't. If you feel like you have that power, even if behind the scenes things are getting swapped around, uh-huh. That's not railroading, right. in my opinion, because you're you. not because you haven't I, taken I, away player agency. You haven't taken away that illusion of freedom. I totally agree with you, but some people have a problem with that. You know, the first time I found it, I learned about railroading was, it wasn't even in D and D. It was in the the uh, basic uh, Marvel superheroes game from TSR. Mm-hmm. They had that module Day of the Octopus, where you had to stop Doc Ock from doing it, and they had like four different Marvel characters. And I ran it and ran it and I kept reading through it and it's like, you know, every time the players don't do a certain thing that needs to be accomplished or are losing the fight, 
Thor shows up, throws his hammer, ends the fight, and tells them the info they need to know to get to the next part. And it's like, what? And I'm supposed to do this for my players? Uh, which brings me to another kind of side thing. Sometimes you don't know where the tracks are. Sometimes you lay them down on the tracks and you don't even know you're doing it. I've been in that position before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I did a Savage Worlds game where they were supposed to have a fight on a, a lunch. It was a pulp thing of, with with uh, with bad, with Nazis on a double-decker bus a la The Mummy. And okay. The awesome. guys and the, the the guy said, "Look, we're playing a professor. This guy doesn't do it. We're just going to go and try and find out where the bad guy's going to be." And it's like I was getting ready for a big fight, and they said that, and I went, "You're right. Well, you can do that. You are absolutely right. We will go on to the next scene." And I told the guys, "You know, I didn't even notice I was railroading. I didn't know I was railroading him. I was just setting it up, and it's like." Right. Okay. Fine. We'll do that. We'll do that see, other thing. See, and if if that was me running that, and they're like, "All right, well, we want to research where the bad guys are going to be next." All right, will you guys go look at the bus station schedule? We're going to the library. I would have had the monsters that are going to attack them on the bus ambush them in the library. Yeah, so at yeah, least then sudden, my prep work doesn't feel flushed away. All of a sudden, there's Nazis in the library. But right. fortunately, I was running a module, so mm. you know, I. It worked out. It worked out. But that's well, what got me to the topic of, you know, you got to avoid the railroad, but you got to know where the railroad is. Well, and, right. and on the other side of that, if you are a player and you're sitting down and you know you're playing a module, uh-huh. don't be a jack wagon about it. I mean, you shouldn't feel railroaded, but if the, if the, if you, you know, purely at con games, I've seen this, uh-huh. you know, there, there is a certain element of railroading in con games. And if you've agreed to sit down and play a mod, play along to a certain extent so that you're not just making life difficult for everyone. Right. Right. Here's the, here's the thing about railroading with me. Say I'm not going to railroad you, but everybody, as far as I'm concerned, I've said this before in other places, everybody has a buy-in to the game. That includes Mm -hmm. the game master. Yep. You're, we're here to play this game. Okay. You guys can do what you want. It's the illusion of choice or whatever. Say we're doing a hex crawl, okay? There's some ruins over there that's got trouble. There's a haunted mansion over here that's got trouble. There's a, you know, the city over here that's, you know, the something's happening on the docks. And they say, okay, we go that way. And they have a few random encounters and stuff. And all of a sudden, they come to the ruins. Okay, we're going to go in the ruins. You have just bought into the story. Yes. Yep. You yes. have just bought into the story. I'm not railroading you, but if you're here, these things are going to happen. If you want to leave, you can leave. But if you're here, you bought in. I agree. I agree completely. And if you know, if you sit down to play Tomb of Horrors and you get to the Tomb of Horrors, don't say I'm not going in. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've, I'll I've, hold the horses. <laughs> I mean, granted, it's a smart thing to do because Tomb of Horrors, dear God. Yeah. But at the same time, if you know, if, if you're playing keep on the borderlands, mm-hmm. don't ignore the caves of chaos. Right. You know, that that's part of the buy-in. This is true. This I mean Mike Bad Mike runs B B two every year. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's got like five different scenarios with it. He asked the players at the beginning, Okay, which one do you want to run? 
Which one do you want to do? I'm going to give you this, this, the kind of the, the rundown of the five ones. And they choose one. They're bought in. They go. Right. You know, you know I know it's just a convention game, but, you know, it's the same, same principle in your group. You know, I mean, yeah. we're, in the, we're in the middle of Curse of Strahd. I don't see anybody pulling out of Barovia. Anytime well, soon, you know. Well, you want to talk about railroading Barovia? Does that how? Oh, the mist won't let you leave. Thing. Yeah. Well, we're still arguing whether or not that's actually Ravenloft or not, since it's five E. Right. <laughs> but I, I think it is, but in your game, it might not be. Well, they say Ravenloft. There is a castle. Ra- yeah, there's a castle Ravenloft. Okay, there's a Barovia and stuff like that. But we're arguing: is it a demi plane or not, or are we actually in the realms? Right. Right, you know, and uh, I, I say no. We're in the realms. I don't want to be on a damn demi plane. So everything's a yeah, lot spookier here. Big deal. Well, but and it's po- tiny enough that you can drop it any pretty much anywhere in the Forgotten Realms, and it fits fine. That's true. But the point is, we bought into this like what five sessions ago, mm-hmm. right? And so here we are. Let's make the best of it and get through this as best we can. We got people depending on us, and then there's always those jack wagons who go, oh, "I don't care about that. I'm, I'm leaving." Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, you could you could only do so much to, to bait the to bait the hook. Well said. Well said. Gee, wow, I'm smart. But uh, don't uh, let don't let it go to your head there, Glenn. Don't let it go oh, to your head. Oh god, I don't have enough room as it is. But that's that's my view of railroading. And uh have you ever I mean, Eric, you ever done anything like I mean, have you ever had to deal with something like that? You know, I, I you know, when you when you look at even the running of a dungeon and the way a dungeon is on rails, mm-hmm. when you think about it, you know, Once you're and, in, yeah, and, you know, the, the worst part is is when you take away the player agency, and it isn't by a whole person spell, but it's by it's by blocking their way, and there's no way around it, and they can find a solution that literally have to get pulled out of somebody's ass or you have to make up some other way to get around it. I remember reading a couple yeah. of years ago, they had this whole thing that like, you know, there should be at least like three paths to, you know, every, uh, part of say like a dungeon or three solutions to everything. So you never have that, that blockage in a way that that blockage is a rail. That's actually the end of the rail because if you're not letting it go any further, it really sucks. Well, I'm always I'm I, I know who you're talking. About. I think you're talking about the Alexandrian, the three yeah, clue, the three clue yeah. rule. Well, yeah. that's, that works good for like murder mysteries and stuff. But my I, and I also also kind of um, subscribe to the don't make don't make a plot make situations. You may yes. have an overarching yeah. plot, right? Uh, and leave it loose. Leave it loose. Yep, I'm running B two right now for my local group. Uh-huh. And I just set the stage and let them go nuts. We were talking about for the show, and I've got all kinds of political machinations going on, and yeah. the lizard man tribe in the south, and the goblins, and the caves of chaos, and the, the arguments with the the keep of the, the baron of the Castilian keep, and it's just it's really, uh, and I let them decide where they're going to go. And one of the things I do to prevent having to do too much prep is I make them write down the names of any NPCs they encounter yep. because I usually make the names up when they meet them. There you go. Oh, that... Same as you have to do it. Yep. But well, yeah, like... go ahead, Eric. Sorry. No, I was going to say, like, I actually prefer running things very loose 
and improvising as my players needed. But my huge problem is I'm very bad at documentation. So if I if I do that and make up names on a spot, I have to hope that my players write them down because I'll never remember them and I'll have to call back to them to find out what the name was. Yeah, I, I make my players write the names down so that way we're like, oh, what was that guy's name again? Okay, yeah. good. Good idea. Another thing I hate is like something that happens in the game that the DM just can't DM his way out of it. For instance, um, I played in a 2E game a long time ago when 2E was still it. Uh, played Night Below. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, yeah. we were down there and we came across the uh, temple of the... Um, Slimes, molds, and jellies. And I wanted to deface it. And the cleric talked me into some stupid idea, and we botched it. So it started producing slimes, molds, and jellies. Oh, nice. we had to get out of there. And we got out of there, and we were going to go back, you know, and then... But we went back. There were more slides. It keeps producing slides. And they kept producing. And finally, the DM stood up and said, I can't continue with this. What? Because I don't know how to get you guys back down there. There's going to be so many slimes, molds, and jellies. You're not going to be able to get your back down there. You're going to die. And I thought, you're the dungeon master. Yep. Figure it out. There's got to be another way. Uh, maybe, you know, leave it up to us. Maybe we could come up with something. But it's like he just threw in the towel because we did something that he couldn't he couldn't get around for some reason. Well, and I think if, if your players do do something where you just can't handle it as a DM, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, guys, can you give me 15, 20 minutes? Right. I'm going to sit down and regather myself. Because that's, well, that can, I know as a DM, sometimes it feels like, oh, I'm failing as a DM if I do that. It's much better to do that than to try to make things up on the fly and everyone knows you're sitting there flailing. Well, it's just players it's, can sense that. It's the DM version of just stepping back and taking a deep breath. Mm-hmm. And just, mm-hmm. okay, let's go. But this guy had not DM'd in a while, and he's just one of those people who are trying to do it by the book logically and, you know... It says in the book, if this yeah. happens, da 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 da. So, uh, run as written. I, I, run, I, yeah. I, I fail at running as written all the time, thankfully. And yeah. I've, played, I've played way too many players who, um, there was one guy I know who would intentionally always manipulate the, the rules as written. Yeah. In order to, like, he was a total, just a, a rules lawyer. It wasn't a rules lawyer. He was, he was a, a min-maxer. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. What about a character that's good at something? Awesome. But, like, he would do things like someone told him, well, you know, all you do is make combat characters in a third edition game. So what he did was he made a character with a max out diplomacy skill. And rules is written if your diplomacy roll is something like 30 or 35. You can make someone stop attacking you mid-combat. <laughs> and, and, and he would do that. That was. It sounds funny though, but yeah, it's that, it's funny in concept. But if you're the player at the table, or you you're the other guy sitting there who's made a wizard, who's an evoker, who loves to throw around fireballs, and this guy just walks in the first round of combat and goes diplomacy, 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 diplomacy. Yeah, right. Never let the skill override the role playing. Yep. And the combat. Uh, yeah, it's like yeah, it's funny, but after like the third time, yeah. right? Yeah, I gotcha. But anyway. Well, I hope you guys got something out of this. 
<laughs> you, you listeners at home. Um, but uh, actually, what's good to to wrap this up? This segment. What's a good way to avoid to avoid this? The first one I can think of is if you're right. If you're if you're not if you're using a module, read the module twice if you have to. Yes. See where it's going. I mean, there are some, like you said, the Dragonlance modules. I just, we reviewed a, a small niche games module a while back that was like, it was fine until you got the end where it basically forced the characters into the ending. I've seen modules that do that. I've yeah. seen a lot of modules do that. And you can loosen them up. You can plus a module. You can loosen them up by saying, okay, well, this will happen. If you really want this to happen, okay, this will happen. But, you know, you're not find some other way to do it besides railroading. And if it doesn't happen, what are the consequences if it doesn't happen? Right. right. Yeah, be aware. That's what it really comes down to. Be aware. Uh, notice the railroad. You might not, like you said before, you might not even realize that you're railroading. Well, you will if you pay attention to what's going on. Right. And, Pay attention to your the feedback you're getting from your players because oh, if you're railroading, yeah. they will give you feedback, and and that's your biggest clue to uh crap something's wrong. Uh, give me five minutes and I'll be you know bathroom yeah. break time for everybody. Yeah. And uh, my my big thing to avoid railroading is I will take an area like a largish area of a map. Mm-hmm. Read, read the general area, and I'll say, all right, well, this module can be led into with this plot hook here, and this plot hook here, and this plot hook here, and this plot hook here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I, like I said, I'm running B2 right now. Um, you know, I've you know, obviously got the B2 module, but my players have decided on a throwaway line that they want to go interact with these giants that were mentioned in one throwaway line by an NPC. Mm-hmm. So they want to go look for these giants. I'm going to drop in the wet, the modules in the back of the white box omnibus in there. Oh, I thought you were you going know. to drop into the steady of the hill giant sheet. I thought about it, but I'm not that vile. <laughs> I'm just not that mean. Because trust me, that was a thought. And... I made mention they ha- they hired a hireling who has had his tongue ripped out. He's like this fighter who doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. And they found out he had his tongue ripped out on, by a monster he encountered in the Barrow Maze, which means Barrow Maze is out there somewhere. Ah, nice. You know, and, and, what it, and by doing it that way and giving the plot hooks, you know, you have a sense of where the players are probably going to go. And it creates a world that exists outside what they're doing immediately. And they have that freedom to, okay, I want to go north. All right, well, we've already established there's giants up north. So I'm prepped for that because I have this mod. Right. Or if they want to go find the Barrow Maze. Okay, well, then they can go find the Barrow Maze, and I've got that info. Great. And so the players aren't railroaded, but you do know where all the train stations are. Yes, I walk them right into Rapanathuk. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Something like that. Or also... You know, it's not bad if you come, it's not bad to come up in your in your DM prep time with a list of plot hooks mm-hmm. that or, are or, just or generically you can drop in. Look at your players' backgrounds. Even if somebody says, "Well, I was trained as a mercenary and used to be part of a mercenary company," have an NPC show up who used to be an old buddy in the mercenary company who says, "Hey, I need help with." you know, going to explore this castle in a realm I've never heard of called Barovia. And, you know, that could lead them into I-6. Yes, and, you know? uh, I, which is good. But I made it a habit now to keep all character sheets. 
They use the mm. character sheets, they fill them out, but they go home with me so I can peruse them like that. Well, and that, that's also called a future NPC. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's plenty of ways you can do it, folks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, tell us about it. You'll see. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, please. Yeah, we'll, have, we'll link our email in the show notes. Oh, yeah. Now we're going to talk about monsters. So this is Monster Hunters, huh? Yes, yes. Okay. Monster Hunters. And this week we have the the Sturge, which is the different st- from the Sturgeon. Yes. Um, I keep thinking of that Homestar writer. The Sturge. Um, right. Um, so the Sturge is one of those, you know, an annoyance, an annoyance monster that can really put the hurt on, <laughs> on your party. Yes, it can. Anything that has to do with sucking blood. Yeah, literal, literal blood fuckers. Yeah, that'll. Well, the, to me, they've always been an amalgam of hummingbirds and mosquitoes. Yeah. Um, what I like about them is you can really do nice variations on them, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, looking at the RC here, yeah, they have an AC of seven, so they're hard to, they're, they're easy to hit. Mm-hmm. But as far as like, you know, it's easy to hit you too. Well, well and and they don't yeah. they don't show up one at a time. No, no, no. no. They, they they usually have a nest with at least a half a dozen. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And they make a very good random encounter because they are flying creatures, so they can pretty much show up anywhere. Yeah, there's there's one of those things where you just keep in your hip pocket and say, Okay, there's this nest of sturges up here for some unknown reason. Just right. Or like, you know, they come out of a tree hollow that you happen yeah. to have disturbed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that they're they're like kind of like giant spiders. It's just you know something you got here, just throw it in there. Um, but boy, can they take it! I've every single fantasy group that I've that I've played, hands down, hate sturges with a passion. Oh uh, yeah! Oh yeah! If they could figure out some way to sell them or do something with their parts, they would. Mm-hmm. But uh, but you know they just. They, because it's like you think, oh, these things are just going to bother me. What? Oh, God. Oh, you know, all of a sudden you're like down a court. Oh, you're down a court. It's on the back of your neck and you're asking your 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 fellow uh, party members to hit something that's sucking on the back of your head. And in bed, so, they get a plus two on their first hit. Uh, and once they're attached, they just keep on sucking. They don't yeah. once once they hit you. Yeah, there's no further roll needed until they're dead. That's Which right. means it's exp- exponential if you get hit by more than one. Uh huh. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It's just it just goes on and on. And there's wonderful. I've come up with wonderful variations. Um, I just read about a dire sturge in one of my monster books. What's even Ew. better if you go into the tome of horrors. Um, the Frog God Tome of Horrors, they have a ghoul sturge. Oh, shoot. Because it has the ghoul's um, whole person attack. So it's like, I can't move, and he's sucking on me. I'm paralyzed. I'm down for the count. Yeah. I I did one that where these sturges were, um, you know how flying fish will leap out of the water? Right. They were Mm -hmm. flying swordfish. So they would leap up out of the water and just like, and they would wait until, and they would hang out at river fords. So when people were trying to ford a river or cross a river, they would just 
jack the crap out of their legs. Oh, God almighty. <laughs> oh, man. And my, my players, and the thing was, what happens when there's blood in the water? It attracts more monsters. Right. Oh, yeah. It does. So, I had it was a, nasty. I had a, tra- a dungeon trap I came up with for one of the Thaco's hammers. That was a pit. It wasn't a very... I mean, it was a decent-sized pit, but it wouldn't hurt you. Maybe, I don't know, a D6 uh, uh, hit point damage. And it had, um, but it had like rungs of a ladder mm-hmm. that you could get out, but the first rung was like just out of reach where you had to jump. They're going, oh, it's okay, it's okay, I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump. And the guy, and if, it depends on how, if they're heavy enough, they jump, they jump, and if they miss... The bottom falls out of the pit, goes through another little bottom with blood in it. That's that you break through that, end up in a room in the next level with a nest of sturges in there. He's covered in blood. Well, here's a question. Ouch. Kobolds are known for using monsters. What's with them? What's wrong with them taking say let's say they find a sturge nest? A pet sturge? Putting it in like a wicker basket, launching that out of a catapult, so the basket breaks on impact, and then suddenly you have, like, basically it's like throwing a hive of bees or wasps at somebody, except it's about 30 sturges. Holy crap. <laughs> I mean, that's vile, and kobolds are just smart enough to think up something that malicious. Hey, uh, James, just for the record, at North Texas, I'm not in one of your games, am I? I I'm not running anything, so you're good. I'm I'm safe. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you know, <laughs> there's, you know, two, there's two. There's pe- two. There's two people I would he- hesitate. You and full-on gamer. <laughs> the thing is, it's my my players will tell you I'm not a killer DM. Um, right. If you do stupid things, you'll die. Mm-hmm. But if I, I I very rarely am truly brutal. Um, now I do often, unless I'm running DCC. DCC the dice fall where they may, and if you're dead, oh, yeah. you know because that's part of the gaming ethos of that game. But in my BX and my LL games, I'm not, I'm not horrible. I mean, you might die, but that's part of being an adventurer. I don't. I, I've made the sturge trap. I threw it at a fifth level party. I Whoa. didn't throw it at a first level party. Well, yeah, yeah, I but, can see that. But I threw it at a fifth level party because it came down to the wizard going, "All right, do I want a fireball where the fighter just got hit with these thirty sturges and kill them all in one swoop and potentially risk killing the fighter, or do I want to see if he can hold out?" Uh huh. Oh my God! So Ugh. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I wouldn't throw that at a first level party, but I would let them know what they're getting thrown at, and if they're stupid enough to do it, well, then they kind of deserve. I love what they it. Get. A, a sturge bomb. There you <laughs> go. A sturge bomb. Yeah. Oh my God, Eric. What about you? I'm not in any of your game. I mean, you have, you've used sturges before, right? I I, I use sturges in my uh, what was it uh, two weeks ago in the running of the Lost City of Baracus. Oh boy. And uh, but it was a random encounter, and you know what? Sturges what? missed. The party killed the Sturges in the one round of combat. They were psyched and thrilled. And then last session, uh, I killed three out of five with a dragon. Ooh. Uh, they they well, well, they knew they listen. They knew going in that I, I I'm not pulling any punches, you know. And uh, they figured they would either uh, all live heroically or all die heroically. There you go. And uh, in this case, uh, they almost killed the dragon, and it retreated and left. And uh, three out of five of the players did not survive. Oh, well. 
And but you, that's, and what, you, that's what dragons are supposed to do. And I'm not a killer DM. Okay. They all say that. You know what I'm saying? No, but I really... I, 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 <laughs> listen, you attack a dragon... Let the dice fall where they It's like saying, I'm a humanitarian. You know? <laughs> I'm not a killer right. DM. Oh, hey, man. You, you attack the titular monster of the game, well, then guess uh, what? Yes. You may die. <laughs> yeah, I got yeah. that. <laughs> you put the sturge in light, you SOB. <laughs> well, yeah, they're what a great... They're a great low-level monster. Yeah. They are. A low, yeah, low, a low-level monster I've seen taken out, like, higher-level parties than that. Oh, it reminds me, I saw one GM who made a really creative use of Sturges once. What's that? The party discovered a cave where a bear was resting, like hibernating, and the bear had disturbed a nest of Sturges, so the bear came running out and angry while the bear was being attacked by the Sturges. <laughs> so the oh, PCs nice. had a raging bear and a bunch of Sturges to deal with all at the same time. They did not know what the hell to do because it was just complete pandemonium. Did the bear That's even awesome. notice? <laughs> No, no, the bear was, like, trying to swat the Sturges. Oh, that is that funny. That is awesome. Oh, it was uh, hilarious. Yeah, get one monster to attack another. That's great. Oh, it was, it was funny as crap. Yeah. Also, Sturges and monster summoning. Sturges are, what, a quarter hit die? Yeah, you can summon yeah, a lot that, of them. You can yeah. swat them. But, yeah. Yep. You, can you, be like, them. you could be, like, the insect master or something Fly, like that. my pretties. <laughs> Or something like that. Yeah, right. Sturges. Use them. They're great, great they monsters. They really are. And I, I wouldn't be surprised you could probably... Some way you could probably build an adventure around them. Oh, what if they're carrying a disease? Like a what mosquito. If, oh, what if What if they do? That's Two words. Idea. Two words. Vampiric Sturge. Oh, God. <laughs> Two words. Black Plague. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it gives avian flu a whole new meaning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th- throw a giant sturge at him, or a sturge oh. golem, a sturge golem. <laughs> that'd be that'd be great. A clockwork sturge golem. That'd be strange. That'd be. Great. That's your that's your gnomish thinking there. There you go. Hey, cl- hey, clockwork steam. I'm all about it. You know, love that stuff. Who needs black powder anyway? That's the sturge, folks. Take it or leave it. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll take it. I hope so, because it really is a great monster. It is a great monster. So uh, I guess we come to the end, huh? We are, in fact, at the end. We are. So, uh, so I hope you guys are still with us. It's uh, Adventure 137. It is Adventure 137, and this has been Save or Die Expert Edition. I'm your host, DM James. With me is DM Glenn, signing off. Good night, folks. And TM Eric, signing off. Hasta la vista. Baby. Alright, everybody. Bye. Bye. Have a good night.